0: Well good morning. It's so good to see you guys. I'm so glad to be here. If you are visiting with us today I want to take a second and just introduce myself. My name is Stacy McLean. My husband Chris and I have been calling Crosstown home now about 18 years. I judge it off my oldest daughter and she's about 18 and um, I'm just thrilled to be with you. Pastor Paul got to get away and do some apple picking with um, his oldest daughter and so he's asked me to come and talk to you guys this morning and I'm just thrilled to be with you. Before we get into the message, I do just want to remind you that Saturday is Trunk or Treat. I don't know about you, but right, it's so much fun. I can't believe, how is it the end of October already, you guys? I mean, I thought it was August, and then I was like, no, it's the end of October. That's a whole nother thing. But we want to encourage you to come and be a part of Trunk or Treat because we are still in need of a few trunks, So, you know, it's not a lot of work. You can decorate your trunk, it's super easy. Get some orange and black streamers and some pumpkins and call it a day and it's a pumpkin patch. And there you go, your trunk is decorated. But if you've been kinda on the fence, like, nah, they don't need my help, they've got that, no. We want you to be involved in this, and we are asking for you to take that little card that's on your seat, scan that QR code, and sign up. It is so much fun. My family and I have done trunks several years, and um, one year, I hate the cold, and we did a trunk, and it was 30 degrees, you guys. It was the coldest Halloween. Do y'all remember that? It's been about three years ago. It was probably the coldest Halloween I have ever had in my life, and so if I can do that, you can come be a part of it donate candy just come get involved it's an amazing time it's two hours on a saturday the weather's going to be great so we invite you to be a part of that so This morning we're going to be continuing our framed series in this series. Pastor Paul has been teaching us about how we have been framed in Christ. And he's been reminding us that it is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that we are invited to be framed and forgiven. But it's our choice how we respond to that. It's our choice on if we respond to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made. I loved one of the sermons he gave several weeks ago about how we're framed over the shoulder. He showed all these different cinematography shots and there's this one that's kind of an over the shoulder. And if you've given your life to God in Christ Jesus, then God sees you over the shoulder and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I don't know about you, but that really comforted me because I don't see Myself that way. And then just a few weeks ago, Ricky came and talked to us about framing the future for our families and with our children and in our relationships. And so we're going to continue that. Last week, Pastor Paul kind of switched things a little bit and we started pressing in about how we frame God. Because the reality is we frame people subjectively all the time. We frame ourselves and we frame other people. You've already done it this morning. Whether you want to admit it or not, you've already either interacted with someone in your family or walked by someone here and you had a thought about them. You were framing them from your perspective. And we do that with God. And last week, Pastor Paul exposed the idea that we frame God through other people. And he showed us examples of how wrong that can be and how that can give us such an inaccurate picture of who God is. And he challenged us to frame God through Jesus Christ. And this isn't a brilliant idea of Pastor Paul's, even though he has brilliant ideas. But the idea of framing God through Jesus, that's not an idea Pastor Paul came up with. That is exactly what God tells us that he wants us to do. He tells us that if we want to know who God is, then we need to look to Jesus. But we have to think about how we think about God. I love this quote that um, Pastor Paul shared last week. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Man, I thought about that and thought about that and thought about that all week long. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing. So what comes into your mind when you think about God? When you have thoughts about God, what are those thoughts? Let me ask you this. Do you have a high opinion of God or a low opinion of God? Okay, let me break it down even further because this is the thought process, if you wanna know, that went on in my head this week. Well, I don't know. How do I know if I have a high opinion of God? I want a high opinion of God. Well, ask yourself this. When you think about God, does He ever contradict your thoughts? Does He ever challenge you? Does He ever convict you? If every time you think about God, He is stepping in line with your thoughts, every time you think about God, He's going, way to go, keep going, you're doing great. If every time you think about God, he is in the same thought process you're in, you might have a low opinion of God. See, in the last 24 hours, God has challenged me. Hey, Stacy, do you really think that's the best use of your time? Really? Do you need 10 more minutes of sleep? Or should you get up and spend those 10 minutes with me? He has convicted me. Really? You want that to be your first response? How about grace, mercy? Yeah, but I'm right. I know. So, I mean, I'm just saying. But he contradicts me. He challenges me and he convicts me. And so when you're thinking about God, if he has not been contradicting a thought you've had or challenging you or convicting you, then you might have a low opinion. And it's kind of like this. I think the ladies will relate to me on this. Men, I'm not sure because I don't wear men's clothing, but ladies, how many times you put on a pair of jeans and it's got what looks like a pocket, but there's no pocket there, right? Does that not drive you crazy? Or a back pocket and it's not actually a back pocket, it just looks, who designed pants that have pockets that are sewn shut, like there's not even a pocket there it just looks like one that's what happens when we have a low opinion of God a pocket is so I can put my phone in it or my credit card in it but if it's sewn shut it's of no use to me and so if you continue having a low opinion of God if the thoughts that you think about God never challenge or contradict or convict you it's like having a pocket that you can't put anything in and I don't know about you, but I don't want to live my life that way because that's frustrating to me. It frustrates me every time I put on my jeans that have no pockets, that look like pockets. And so what we're going to do today is kind of think about how we can push in to seeing God in the face of Jesus Christ. And again, this is not an idea that that Pastor Paul came up with. This is what God tells us. Listen to what we are told in John 1, 17 through 18. In John's gospel, he says in John chapter one, the word was with God and the word was God. And he talks about how Jesus came and put on flesh and dwelt among us. And he is the light and darkness cannot overcome the light. And if we wanna know what God looks like, if we wanna know, how God thinks, then we are to look no further than the face of Jesus. John 1, 17 through 18, it's going to be on the screen. I encourage you, if you've got our app, all the notes are on there, you can follow along because I don't want you to think I'm making this up. This is what God's word says. And we will be so blessed when we get into God's word together and we read it together because his word will never come back void. So listen to what John tells us. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. God has explained who he is through Jesus Christ. And even if you hate God, even if you are angry at God, even if you disagree with God, I want to challenge you study the life of Jesus. And start living that life and see what happens. You will begin understanding the heart of who God is because we see it in the life of Jesus. We always have to frame God through Jesus. But maybe today you are here because you're trying to appease someone and so you just showed up. Maybe you're here because you're trying to appease yourself and you're trying to do something differently. I don't know what brought you here today, but I think some of us are here in this room today and we feel very far from God. And the reason we feel far from God is because we're really closely acquainted to our past mistakes. We're really acquainted with our failures and we feel very far from God and we're desperate to draw near to him but we feel inadequate. I don't know if I'm just speaking to myself on that one but I can tell you the idea of drawing near into the presence of God, sometimes I'm overwhelmed with feelings of inadequacy and my failures and my past mistakes and if that's where you are today, I just want to encourage you. You may feel far from God, but he is not far from us. I want to read you this quote again by A.W. Tozer, and it, it tells us if you're here and you want to draw near to God, but you're not sure how God's going to respond to you. Have you ever heard someone say, man, I can't go into church. If I walked in a church, the walls of the church would fall down because I just know. Yeah. Just listen to this quote. Now, someone who, in spite of his past sins, honestly wants to become reconciled to God, may cautiously inquire, if I come to God, how will he act toward me? What kind of disposition has he? What will I find him to be like? The answer is that he will be found to be exactly like Jesus. He says, he that hath seen me, said Jesus, hath seen the Father. So if that's you today, I promise you are going to find God responding to the to you the way that we are going to see Jesus responding to people today when we take a look in his scripture and see how God interacts with those through the life of Jesus. In one lexicon I was reading this week about something totally separate, which is why it stood out. A lexicon is just a Bible dictionary. They just have to have a fancy word for it. But it said that Christ is not only the word through whom God is heard, he is the image of Through whom God is seen. So, Christ, we often think of him as the Word. The Word became flesh. We know that. But he's not only the Word in which we hear God, but he is the very image in which we see God. Hebrews agrees with that as well. The author of Hebrews says that. Christ is the exact representation, the radiance of the glory of God is represented in Christ. He's not like just a, a lookalike, he is the exact representation of God. And God is choosing to reveal himself to us through the life of Jesus Christ. So we're going to take a look at a couple of interactions of Jesus with other people so that we can begin to understand how we are supposed to frame God in our interactions with God. But before we do that, I'm going to play a little game with you. Have you guys ever played that game where you zoom in on an object really tight and you try and figure out what it is and then the camera slowly zooms away from it? You know what I'm talking about? Because sometimes we zoom in so tightly on an object, we frame it in such a way that it is so tight that we lose the big picture so we're gonna play that game real quick so I want you guys to take a look at this video when you can recognize it just scream out what you think it is so let's look and see if we can figure out what this is anybody know what it is yet See, the further it gets out, the easier it is to see the whole picture in perspective. So, when it was zoomed in really tight, you weren't sure exactly what it was. As it zooms out further and further, I begin hearing people say, oh, maybe a pickle, maybe a cucumber, and it wasn't until we saw the entire picture that we saw that it was a cucumber laying next to a knife being sliced. Well, what I want to challenge you with today, you're going to just naturally want to zoom in on some things, especially in this first passage that I'm reading. You're going to have a tendency to want to zoom in. Listen, let's take a just take a step back and breathe because I don't want you to miss the cucumber. I don't want you to miss the refreshment. I want you to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's not gonna be your initial reaction. Now, please do not hear me say, don't zoom into scripture. I would love for you to take a deep dive into this passage. We just don't have time to do it on a Sunday morning. There is so much we could look at in this passage, but for our purposes today, we're gonna zoom out and see the meta narrative of what is God trying to teach us through this interaction with Jesus. So we're gonna be in Mark, I believe. We're going to be in Mark 7, and we're going to start reading this interaction of Jesus and this woman. And again, I'm challenging you, keep the big picture in mind. Listen as I read. Now, Jesus got up and went from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know about it, and yet he could not escape notice. See, I want to zoom in right there, and I just want to spend the next 45 minutes talking to you about how he could not be escaped from notice, but we won't. We'll keep reading. But after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician descent. And she repeatedly asked him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. And after going back to her home, she found the child laying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, If you're like me, you're going to want to zoom in and say, why in the world was Jesus so rude to her? He ignored her. In one of the other gospels, it says that the disciples were like, hey, Jesus, do something with her because she keeps talking to you and you're ignoring her and she's driving us crazy, basically, and we need you to just fix her so she can be gone. See, Jesus is not here just to fix you. Sometimes we think he's just going to fix it. No, Jesus wants to meet you where you are. He wants to get to the heart of the matter. And that's what he's doing with this woman. Look at the very first line of what it says. Go back to the very first line. Now Jesus got up and went from there to the region of Tyre. Now, if you're like me, I read that and it doesn't really mean anything to me because Jesus went a lot of places. If you look in scripture over and over again in the gospels, Jesus is constantly on the move. Just on a side note, I don't see him having a whole lot of self-care days, by the way, and just taking a day off and relaxing. Jesus was constantly on the move. He was on mission, living on mission, and so he got up and went to the region of Tyree. Well, why does that matter to me? What does that matter the reason it matters is because that is a region not typical of where Jesus would travel. It was outside of the house of Israel. It was outside of the Jewish area. He was moving into a Gentile area. Most scholars think that this town that he went into was mostly Gentiles. And that means that those are the people that were not the kingdom of God really wasn't open to until this point. But Jesus lived his life in such a way with intentionality that he went. As a matter of fact, when we're reading this story in both accounts of the Gospels, he goes in, he has this interaction with this woman, and immediately he leaves the town. It seems to indicate to us the only reason that he went to this region was to have this interaction with this woman. See, that's the kind of God we serve. You matter to him. You matter to God. He cares about you, and he wants to move towards you. Jesus is moving towards her. See, in this also, my next thought is, okay, well then, why does he compare her to a dog? He compares her to a dog. I mean, come on, you guys. I would not think that Jesus would compare people to dogs, but Jesus knew that's how the woman saw herself and Jesus also knew that the Jews called the Gentiles dogs in a very derogatory manner they would say no they're like dogs but Jesus knew that not to be true of this woman but he knew what she thought about herself you see the fact that she was a Syrophoenician woman that she was a Gentile that she was um, a Canaanite all of these words are used in Scripture to describe her because The author of the gospel is trying to get us to understand this woman comes from a generational background of people who have lived in opposition and rebellion to God. Her entire life she has been told, you are on the outside, your people are unclean, you are unworthy. Her entire life she has been told, you are a dog, you are worth nothing. And so Jesus knows that she's coming into this situation preloaded with those thoughts about herself. And Jesus goes right to the heart of it. And he says, come on, I'm not here to do this. I'm gonna give food to the children. But she recognizes no, because she has a higher view of God. And so she recognizes this is who I am. This is what the world's been telling me. But there's something that you have, Jesus, that's better. What has the world been telling you? What have you been calling yourself? Have you called yourself hopeless? Have you called yourself worthless, a cheat? a liar, a person who has anger issues, a victim, stupid, isolated, on the outside, someone who doesn't fit in? I don't know. I mean, I've called myself all of those things in the last probably three or four weeks. I don't know what you've been calling yourself, but guess what? God knows exactly what you've been calling yourself, and he wants to meet you right there. He wants you to recognize that he's meeting you in the place that you are. See, a lot of us feel like we are separated from God that we are other than, that we're far from God. And he is here today to tell us, you cannot outrun his grace. You cannot outsin his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, and his compassion. There is nowhere that you can go that can be outside of the gaze of God. And I, again, am not making this up. Listen to what David tells us in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. I mean, how many of us have fallen into a deep darkness and we think we are hidden from God? You are not. He sees you. Even the darkness will be not dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You see, we can never be gone too far to be outside of the grasp of God. There is nowhere you can run to be outside of his reach. And David knew that to be true of God. David is writing this, and he knew that because David knew who God was. And today, God wants you to see who he is, through Jesus Christ and through these interactions God will never travel a greater distance than he's already traveled to draw near to you God has traveled from heaven to earth and from the earth to the cross and from the cross to the grave and from the grave to glory to meet you here today he has already traveled that far And when he traveled that far with this woman, she didn't say, I mean, he went into a house and he tried to hide himself, but he could not escape notice. Because let me tell you something, when God shows up in your life, he cannot escape notice. You are going to know whether or not you acknowledge it, whether or not you respond to it. But you know, you know those times when you see him. And this woman did not wait and say, well, he came to this town, but he didn't come to my house. No, she heard, she knew, and she knew her lowly position. She knew what everyone thought about her and she was willing to trade it for the high value that she saw in God, the high position that she recognized God had. And she went to him. It would be like if you have a friend who lives in California and they get on a plane and they are flying to see you and they land in Dallas, they get a connection flight, they fly a few more hours, they land in Charleston, they get in an Uber and they drive to your house and knock on the door are you gonna open the door and be like you couldn't just come in and sit down at the table like you expect me to come open the door for you you expect me to engage no you would not do that you would open the door throw your arms around him and say man thank you so much for traveling all that distance God has traveled and transversed time to be with you today so that you can experience him today how are we gonna respond how are you going to respond to what God's saying today? This woman's response, when she interacted with Jesus, she didn't interact with Jesus by saying, I really wish you'd come over here first. No, it says she fell at his feet and she worshiped him. And this isn't something she had seen in people in her family before. This, she was probably the first one in her family. She recognized who he was and she fell at his feet and she worshiped him. She worshiped him before he answered her prayer. She worshiped him before he responded. Some of us are holding back our worship because we're waiting on God to do something we told him to do. Guess what? That's a low view of God and it's gonna be like an empty pocket for you. Don't wait. Don't hold back that worship because you're telling God what to do. Worship him. And see what he will do in the same way he met this woman she worshipped him because she had framed him rightly and she understood and I know this is such a hard concept for us to understand and we would say no it's not I believe that God's salvation is for everyone do we live our lives in such a way that we think God's salvation is for everyone or we've framed certain kinds of people in certain ways that God couldn't save them I have and, I, and God's convicted me of that. And that's when I realized, ooh, that was a low opinion of God. And he's elevated my thoughts on that. And see, this isn't just a challenge for us. This was a challenge for the disciples. I can promise you part of why Jesus did this was with the disciples. So he could show the disciples, hey, listen, my salvation is for every single person who has ever lived. That it is, Peter tells us in his um, gospel that it is th- that none should perish. It's, it's God's hope that none should perish. He tells us that in his letter, that he, he, it's God's desire that none would perish. But Peter had a hard time realizing this lesson. He had a hard time believing that God's grace was really big enough to save even the Gentiles for Peter. Those, I mean, that was just, they were unclean. As a matter of fact, In the book of Acts, Peter is on top of a rooftop in this little tiny sea town called Joppa. And he's sitting up there and he falls into this trance. And God gives him this vision where these sheets drop down and all these unclean animals are there. And God tells him, get up and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. I will not eat the unclean. And God said, don't you call unclean what I have declared clean. And God is saying, don't call unclean what I have declared clean. My grace, my forgiveness, my mercy will extend to the ends of the earth. And at the same time, Peter's having this vision. There's this Gentile guy named Cornelius who has been praying and seeking God. He's been drawing near to God and God meets him in his Gentileness, in his sinfulness. He meets him where he is and he says, hey, go call for Peter. And Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and his entire house is saved. And listen to what Peter realizes, it's in Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. See, it took a lot to get Peter to that point. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he, Jesus, is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Now, that's a powerful word. Some of us today are the ones who feel like his forgiveness is not for us. And I want to tell you, it is for you. And then some of us are being challenged like Peter. Stop thinking that God can't forgive them. Yes, he can. And he desires to. Some of you have been praying for your adult children to get into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're at a point where you have given up. And you just think God can't do it. Yes, he can, there is still hope, don't stop praying. His salvation is open to every person who is willing to receive. John tells us in John chapter one, to all of those who have received it have been given the right to become children of God. Not to just this elect few, not to just this group of people, not to people who look like me and act like me or come from the same socioeconomic background or the same culture or the same ethnicity. No, if God's gospel isn't for everyone, then it's for no one the gospel that we proclaim is a gospel that is for us right here in America in Charleston South Carolina and it is the same gospel for people in Burma on the other side of the world that's the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and it leads me to the next part of what we're looking at to kind of get an idea of who God is in the face of Jesus And we're going to be looking at the goodness of God. Just quickly, don't worry, I'm not going to go much longer. But I want to talk about the goodness of God. Because some of us stay kind of distant from God because we're afraid that he actually might not be that good. But the goodness of God is one of those things that moves us from fear to faith see, some of us are fearful of how to approach God because he's gonna make me give up everything. He's gonna make me do all of this. But it's the goodness of God, it's the kindness of God that calls us in. Some of us have been living in this fear because we put our mistakes as the first thought in our mind. We put our experiences as the first thought in our mind about God. If someone has harmed you, I am deeply sorry for that. If, if you are a victim of some horrible thing that has happened to you and someone did it in the name of God, I'm so sorry that happened to you. God is too. And don't let their rebellion, their sin, frame the way you see God. God wants you to see him through Jesus Christ. He wants you to see his goodness. And I want to show you this picture out of Luke chapter 7. It is one of those snapshots that we see of Jesus that often gets overlooked when when we're reading um, stories about Jesus in the Gospels. But I want you to just pause on this one for a second and listen to how Jesus interacts with this woman. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow, and considerable, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. And then he came up and he touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. All right, I gotta stop there for just a second. Y'all, it's a dead man on a stretcher at the town and Jesus takes notice of it. And he says, hey, get up. And the dead man sat up and started talking. I think we lost that for a second, because that's pretty amazing. I'm like, man. And the dead man sat up, began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. You see, this is a snapshot of the goodness of God, because Jesus saw this woman in her pain. For her to be a widow, her husband is gone, and now her only child who was her son is gone. For her, that was a death sentence. For a woman in that time culturally to be without a husband or a son, she couldn't go get a job. She had no way to support herself. And Jesus walked by this, and he stopped, and he had compassion on her. And not only did he stop and have compassion, he acted, he brought her son back to life. And I love that it said, Jesus gave her son back to her. That is a picture of the goodness of God. Is that the kind of God who's waiting to strike you down because you drank too much wine, you told another lie, you did the thing you weren't supposed to do again? No. He didn't, Jesus didn't stop and say, well, man, this is an interesting situation. This lady seems real upset. I wonder what's going on. I wonder how they got to that point. Like, Jesus didn't go around investigating, hey, how did he die? What happened? What did you do to bring this on? No. He saw it. He had compassion, and he was moved to action. That is who God is. God sees your pain. God knows it and he is moving into action. It's your choice whether or not you want to receive what he's willing to give to you, but he wants to give to you. Have you been doubting God's goodness? For whatever reason, because of what's happened to you. I mean, some of us have suffered great loss and maybe you have doubted the goodness of God because of a loss, a physical, an emotional, a financial loss that you have suffered. I really started thinking about that. Like, why do we doubt the goodness of God? And it's because either I'm too familiar with my own mistakes or because of an experience. And so as I was reading this past week, I heard this really great description of how God meets us where we are and how we see his goodness. So... Maybe you are self condemned. Maybe you have condemned yourself that you are the one that does not belong and you are too far gone for God to save you. If that's you, I want you to know that He is generous and kind. And He wants to show you His generosity and His kindness. Maybe you're frightened. Maybe anxiety overwhelms you at every turn. Maybe you are afraid of what the future holds for you. He wants you to know He wants to show you that He is friendly. Maybe for you, you're the poor in spirit. Maybe you really are remorseful for the way you have been living, for the way you have acted, and he wants you to know he is forgiving. Maybe you are ignorant, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I am ignorant of things that I don't know. He wants you to know that he is considerate, because maybe you have been believing a lie. The reason it's a deception is because we're being deceived and we don't know any better. He doesn't want you living in deception anymore. Ask him, God, where am I believing a lie? How am I being deceived? And he will begin speaking that truth to you because he wants to reveal himself to you in that. Maybe you're here today and you are exhausted. You feel absolutely worn out and you don't know how you're gonna keep getting up every single morning. When you are weak, he is strong. He wants to meet you in your weakness and he wants to show you that you can grab his hand because when you are weak, he is strong. Maybe you're the one who feels like the outsider today. You ever felt like you don't belong? Like, yeah, that message is probably for everybody else in that room, but that message is not for me. That is a lie. You are invited into the family of God and he wants to show you hospitality today. He wants to show you that he's extended an invitation for you no matter how far off that you feel like you are. So wherever you are today, whether that means you are in the middle of believing a deception and a lie, maybe that means that you are overwhelmed with anxiety, or completely exhausted. Wherever you are today, God wants to meet you. He has traveled across the distance of time and space to be here with us this morning to speak to your heart today and to show you that he loves you and he has a plan for you and so as we move into this time of expression this is an opportunity for you to respond to what God has been saying and so this may be new for you but during this time of expression we want you to respond to God so maybe you need to take that lie and nail it to the cross And maybe it's a point where you don't even believe it. Like, no, this isn't really a lie. If you're wavering and you're like, maybe it's a lie, maybe it's not, it's probably a lie. Put it at the cross and give it to Jesus and don't take it back and let him replace it with his truth. Or maybe for you today, you are in such a dark place that you need somebody else to help. And so we would encourage you to get prayer with our pastors and elders at the back. They are there. They have framed God through the life of Jesus. And sometimes we need their perspective or someone else's perspective to help us see God rightly. So I invite you for prayer. Or maybe today it's to receive communion. The covenant that God made with us through his son, Jesus Christ, the body and blood of Christ that was shed for the forgiveness of my sins shed for the forgiveness of your sins. He is here to meet with us today. He stands at the door and knock. He flew all the way here to meet you today. How will you respond? God, we thank you that you are a God who is always before us, behind us, and around us. We thank you, God, that you know what we think about ourselves and you meet us right there to lift our face and pull us out of the pit. God, we come with humility and surrender this morning. We let go of the lies that we're believing. We let go of the fear and the anxiety. We let go of the exhaustion. And we come to you this morning and we're gonna approach your throne with a boldness because we know, Father, that you have shown us that you are in this with us and that you have a plan for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.